0: Hello and welcome to Saber a Production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Volkelbaum, and today we've got a classic episode for you about Julia Child.
1: One of our favorites, but particularly for you, Lauren. Yes,
0: oh absolutely. Well, Julia Child is, is one of my favorite um figures, and doing this episode was just an absolute joy. I got super forklumped during it. In this time of of isolation, um, I I like sort of like like Rage Watched Julie and Julia the other nice. day. Nice. It is streaming on Netflix. Um, and by Rage Watch, I mean that Meryl Streep is is a, a beacon of beauty in that film. And uh, and the Julie character. Nothing to say against Amy Adams' portrayal, but the Julie character is just one of my least favorite characters in all of cinema. <laughs>
1: Oh, so that's why that's where the rage comes in. That's I where see. the
0: rage comes in. Yeah. The half of the okay. movie that is about Julia Child is ridiculously delightful. Mm-hmm. Stanley Tucci playing Paul is also amazing. <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 yeah, no, it's, it's, there's, I'm just like, man, that human seems like not a human that I want to hang out with. Well, luckily.
1: You don't have to.
0: That's true. Yeah. Uh, so I hope Julie, for many reasons. I hope Julia isn't listening to this. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about it. The film doesn't portray you in a nice light.
1: <laughs> I was thinking the other day, I have no intention to do this, but, like, if you had ever wanted to do the thing that she does in that movie, which is sort of recreate all those recipes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, like, like
0: all, like, 500 and whatever recipes from uh, Mastering the Art of French Cooking in, in a single year. So 365 days. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, so if that was a project you want to undertake, but hadn't had the, the time or motivation, I mean, Ooh. <laughs> maybe that, that's something you could pick up now. Yeah. Yeah. No time like the present,
0: I suppose. I mean, assuming that you have like a like good access to to all those groceries.
1: That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, that could be an interesting thing, too, where, like, I've had to make some very fascinating substitutions. (laughs) Some have worked out. Some have not worked out. Very much decidedly not worked out. But yeah, I like the experimenting aspect of it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, It it is definitely bringing out, um, yes, the innovator in me, I would say. Yes,
1: yes. We are all innovators in the kitchen now. <laughs>
0: oh, gosh, it's true. It's true. But, um, yeah, so uh, so this episode originally aired in the before time um, in October of 2017. Um, and it's actually sort of timely that we are running it again because a documentary about Julia Child is currently in production and just this past Friday uh, Sony Pictures Classics acquired worldwide rights to it um, It's being created by the filmmakers who uh, who got that Oscar nominee last year for the um, RBG documentary, the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary. Um, And yeah, uh, it should be out next year and should feature like archival footage that has never been seen before by the public, uh, plus some personal photos um, and interviews with uh, Julia's family and friends. Uh, And yeah, it's, it's being made in cooperation with them and also with the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. So looking forward to that one.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: And speaking of the foundation, they just made a $50,000 grant to World Central Kitchen's Chefs for America program, which is um, that thing that uh, Jose Andres is, is uh, running to help restaurants that have shuttered during COVID-19 um, provide meals to people who are in need of meals. Um, and and he, he was the 2019 recipient of the Julia Child Award from the foundation. So it all kind of fits together, but super lovely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also, shout out to the Julia Child Foundation's uh, podcast, Inside Julia's Kitchen, which is a lovely show that if you guys have not listened to, I think you should.
1: There you go. A lot of uh, entertainment recommendations in this one. So... Yeah. Yeah. Or like, it's some recommendations and some like, I don't know
0: if you want to watch that thing. <laughs> it's... I wonder... Do with this information what you will.
1: Yes. Yes. We have provided <laughs> information... Now you must decide. (laughs) But all right, I guess we should get into our classic. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Take it away, former Annie and Lauren. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today, it's the Julia Child episode. Yes! It's finally here. Lauren's so excited.
0: I am. Oh, I'm freaking out just a little bit. But okay, okay. So, you know, we, we have intended to start doing a series of sort of biographical episodes about famous food personalities, chefs, uh, and, and other humans.
1: Yes, and Julia Child is a great place to start. So, what is it? Nope. Wait. Take J.K. Uh, JK. Mm-hmm. Force of Habit. But brief bio, in case you don't know, Julia Child was a best-selling author, well-known TV chef personality, and CIA operative, kind of. <laughs> she was well-known for her love of French food, and she was quite, 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 quite popular. Um, there have been movies about her. M- Meryl Streep played her. Mm-hmm. Um, TV shows made about her, and I think one's about to come out. Oh, oh Julia. Cool. Yeah. So... She made quite the impact.
0: Uh, yes. And she, she. to be super honest, uh, dear listeners, she made quite an impact on me. I, I grew up um, with my, my, my father, uh, was a chef and a cook, and my mom was a huge fan of cooking. And so I, I grew up watching Julia Child when I was a child. And watching her videos now still elicits this extreme nostalgia response. It just makes me so happy because she's she's so joyous about cooking. She's so capable and and. Uh, very physical. She just beats the crap out of stuff continually, but in a useful way. And I don't know, her whole attitude is, is just very positive.
1: Yes, and I actually knew very little about Julia Child, so this has been quite a joyous thing for me to learn about her. So let's let's start with her early life. Yes. Um, Julia Child was born Julia Carolyn McWilliams on August fifteenth, nineteen twelve, in Pasadena, California, to John Junior and Julia Carol Carolyn, excuse me, McWilliams nay Weston. Called Carol. Yep. She was the oldest of three children and went by several pet names like Jukes and Juju. Her father was a consultant and financier.
0: Uh, He was a second-generation gold pioneer who inherited a lot of his father's kind of
1: business dealings. Gold pioneer. Mm -hmm. And her mother was the heiress of a paper company from her father, and her father was also the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts.
0: Uh, Julia's great-grandparents on her mother's Weston side might have known Dr. Sylvester Graham. Everyone is connected to Doctor Graham. Oh, it's crazy! Uh, they they lived just a town over from where Graham did a lot of his preaching. Um, the the Weston family, by the way, also trace back to Plymouth Rock. Uh, like they were some of the first people to come over to the United States or you know, to to America at the time. It was not yet yes. united uh, through the Brewster line.
1: Anyway. The McWilliamses must have been doing pretty well for themselves um, because all of their children went to private schools and the family had a cook and other servants. Julia was very active and known as a bit of a prankster at her school. Mm-hmm. Um, she was always tall, taking after her father, and topped out at
0: six feet, two inches. Her sister Dorothy was six foot three. Julia was kind of a a rabble-rouser and a bit of a ham. She always took part in school plays, though she noted that, due perhaps to her height and the fact that she attended an all-girls school, she was always cast as as the
1: man or as a beast, never the princess. Hmm. (laughs) And random fact, on a family trip to Tijuana, a young Julia encountered Caesar Cardini at his restaurant, a.k.a. the guy who came up with the Caesar salad. The dude made the salad tableside for them to enjoy, and years later, when Julia Child had become a famous chef herself, she got Cardini's daughter, Rosa, to give her the original recipe. Oh. Mm.
0: Uh, Speaking of food, as we are wont to do, Julia's mother, Caro, didn't care for cooking, so Julia never really touched a kitchen when she was younger. She, She grew up in the kind of family that eats well but very plainly. Uh, it was also an era when prepackaged foods were, were kind of trendy. You know, being able to serve, like, Heinz mint jelly with your lamb
1: was a sign of, of wealth and modernity. Ah, Heinz mint jelly. <laughs> in 1934, she graduated from Smith College in Massachusetts with a B.A., Bachelor of Arts, in history.
0: Um, her mom was an alum, and uh, Julia was enrolled at birth.
1: Wow. Day of her birth. She's enrolled in college. Mm -hmm. Okay. After graduation, she started working for furniture company W and J Sloan in New York as an ad copywriter. Her goal was to become a writer, but she wrote in her diary, I am sadly (laughs) I am sadly an ordinary person with talents I do not use. Oh. Yeah.
0: Young Julia, harsh on yourself.
1: She was also very active and outgoing during her college career where, among things like drama and basketball, she was the chair of refreshment committee for senior prom and fall dance. And I found this tidbit on the CIA's website, by the way. Huh. Yep. More on that in a second. But, uh, yeah, so three
0: years would pass before she returned to Pasadena.
1: She transferred to the Los Angeles W.J. Salone branch. But she was soon fired for gross insubordination, which is one of my favorite facts of this whole thing. (laughs) I love that. Um, So she started taking ob jobs as a writer, mostly for various advertising firms, while also doing volunteer work for the Junior League of Pasadena. She was a little bit restless at the time. It was expected in her
0: circles for women to, you know, get married and have fancy children and have fancy parties. And she... Just wasn't interested. She turned down a marriage proposal from what was considered a smart match. Um, and inspired by her mother's relative independence, she insisted on marriage being based on love.
1: Oh, good for you, Julia. Mm-hmm. Then World War II happened, and Julia moved to Washington D.C. to help in 1941. But she ran into a snag: her height. <laughs> Both the woman accepted for volunteer emergency services or WAVES and Women's Army Corps. WAC rejected her on the grounds of her being too tall, at, as Lauren said, six foot two inches. So she joined what would eventually become the CIA, the Office of Strategic Services, instead, as one of the 4,500 women OSS employed. She started doing mostly clerical work as a research assistant for the Secret Intelligence Division under the organization's leader, General William J. Donovan. According to the CIA's website, she typed up the names of thousands of officers on little white note cards to keep track of them before, you know, computers and stuff.
0: She had a great drive for for detail work and organization. And this, this is thematic.
1: Yes. But th- that part probably sucked. It probably wasn't the most stimulating. <laughs> then, in one of my other favorite facts of this episode, she transferred to the Emergency Sea Rescue Equipment Section. Hmm, you ask, what could she be doing there? Hmm. Hmm, developing a shark repellent. What? That's right. (laughs) She helped come up with a shark repellent that was actually super useful as a coating for explosives used against German U-boats that clumsy sharks would sometimes bump into and set off. Um, From Julia Child in the book Sister of Spies, I understand the shark repellent we developed is being used today for downed space equipment, strapped around it so the sharks won't attack when it lands in the ocean. Oh. This was the only fact I knew about Julia Child going in because I used to edit videos for Shark Week, and I remembered (laughs) Julia Child was involved (laughs) somehow. And I was like, what what could it be? Now I know. Shark repellent. Yes. (laughs) In 1944, Julia Child was sent overseas to Ceylon, modern-day Sri Lanka, as you might remember from our Cinnamon episode, and eventually to Kunming, China, where she worked for the OSS Registry and had top security clearance. She knew the contents of all incoming and outgoing messages, especially dealing with the invasion of Malay. During her time at the OSS in Ceylon, she met her future husband and fellow OSS officer, Paul Cushing Child. Uh,
0: Paul was working designing war rooms for the generals that were stationed uh, there and, and in
1: China. Their romance was not always assured, however. Paul, who spoke fluent French, was a black belt in judo, was an artist, was 10 years older than Julia. In letters to his brother, Paul described her as "...wildly emotional and an extremely sloppy thinker, unable to sustain ideas for very long." Julia was similarly unimpressed, writing Paul as having light hair, which is not on top, an unbecoming blonde mustache, and a long unbecoming nose.
0: Uh, light hair, which is not on top, <sighs> might be my new favorite, like, dis.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good one.
0: Um, uh, he, he was also, compared to her 6'2", just 5'10". Mm-hmm.
1: However... They both got over these gripes about each other and were soon in love. Paul now wrote to his brother, She frankly likes to eat and use her senses and has a keen nose. And she also washes my shirts. What a dame.
0: (laughs) They also would bond over the adventure of
1: trying new foods in China. They decided to take... Um, A few months to get to know each other in civilian clothes once the World War had ended, meeting each other's friends and family, traveling across country, before getting married in September 1946. And side note, she'd been in a car accident the previous day and got married with a bandage on her head. Oh, It's actually kind of a cute picture. (laughs) Um, And Paul was the one who introduced her to cooking. Previous to meeting him, she pretty much lived off frozen dinners and once exploded a duck in the oven and caused a fire.
0: Haven't we all?
1: I know. I've been there. Paul worked for the United States Information Service after the war and was stationed in the American Embassy in Paris, France. Julia accompanied him, and on the way to Paris, they stopped in the town of Rouen at La Couronne, said to be the oldest inn in the country. And
0: they had a lunch there that Julia would later call the most exciting meal of my life. It featured raw oysters, fresh rye bread, and fresh butter. Saumonier, which is a, a whole fish, a whole fish that's cooked just simply with browned butter and parsley. Um, a green salad after the main course, a baguette, cheese, and coffee, and a bottle of white wine, which absolutely shocked, shocked Julia, uh, who was still kind of young at thirty-six. Wine at lunch.
1: My goodness, what an exciting meal. (laughs) (laughs) Julia absolutely adored the experience and fell head over heels for France and French cuisine, later writing, The whole experience was an opening up of the soul and spirit for me. I was hooked, and for life, as it turned out. So, that brings us to the beginning of Julia Child's food adventures. But first, let's pause for a quick word from our sponsor.
2: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
3: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Haya.
4: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured, not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
0: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So, as Paul and Julia settled into Paris, they found themselves not quite servantless, that the the small two-occupant building that they rented floors on employed a maid, Uh, but they were basically cookless. As they explored the city and especially its restaurants, Julia became more and more fascinated by French food and culinary culture and started teaching herself how to cook. She she basically learned French so that she could communicate with her grocers. She decided to enroll at Le Cordon Bleu, which is a, a well-established hobbyist and sort of pre-professional cooking school in the city because, you know, she finally had something to be serious about and she was very serious about it. She quickly transferred from housewives classes to professional classes where she would learn under chef Max Bonnard, who had learned under the great hot cuisine chef Auguste Escoffier. She, she had the idea that she might eventually contribute to her and Paul's household and, you know, keep herself busy by publishing a cooking pamphlet and uh, teaching cooking classes for other American expats in Paris and France in general. Um... She was learning a great deal of technique and kitchen science at the time. Uh, Plus, between the connections that she made through Chef Bonniard and Paul's connections via the embassy, she was getting exposure to the art and culture of French cuisine. Oh, well, I mean, all all those connections, plus just both her and Paul's shine. Like, the two of them seem like they were the absolute best folks to have at parties.
1: I know. I mean, Paul speaks 10 languages and does Black belt judo. I'd be He's talking to that guy. He's a
0: photographer and a poet. It's, it's very, very worldly kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should also mention that Le Cordon Bleu offered demonstrations in the afternoons in a sort of kitchen theater. Uh, Julia would compare it to, to a surgical theater where students and any civilian with the interest in the money could come and, and watch professional chefs and ask questions as they presented and explained their work. I'd go check those out. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Julia would meet through her friends in France, two women who were working on a cookbook of French cuisine for Americans, Simone Beck, known as Simca, and Loisette Barthol. They got along really well and began offering cooking classes under the name École des Trois Gourmands, uh, without the S on the end. Y'all get the picture. I don't speak French. Uh, Through this, though, uh, Julia became interested in collaborating on their book, though she wanted to go even further into detail than Simca and Louisette had been doing. And her idea here was that people are intimidated by cooking or not so good at cooking because they don't have access to what amounts to the the feel of it. Uh, She thought that the cold science approach to cooking that was built up by, you know, ascetic nutritionists like Kellogg and by... Function over form home ec classes had had left American cooks lacking. They they didn't know the the properties of their ingredients, or why certain techniques work the way they do, or what a recipe should look like and feel like during different points in the process, or, or how to troubleshoot any problems that arise. So, starting in 1951, the three of them worked and researched and reworked and tested and re reworked every recipe with the help of Paul and other family and friends on both sides of the pond. This process would take 10 years and three publishers. Um, the first was uncommunicative and they they never signed a contract. Then um, Houghton Mifflin signed on, but the deal fell through as deadlines whooshed on by and the writing started sagging under the weight of its own detail. Meanwhile, the Childs were moving every few years with Paul's job from Paris to Marseille, then Bonn, then Washington, D.C., then Oslo. And Julia would have to learn another art along the way, uh, writing, in order to make their their voices and their intentions come through in the book. The book. The book. Finally, with help from longtime pen pal Avis Devoto, uh, the editors at Knopf Publishing finally accepted the book, and so the first volume of Mastering the Art of French Cooking, published in 1961, to just tremendous praise. Huzzah! Woo.
1: That was our tremendous praise noise. Yeah. It was probably much more enthused than that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There there were like really good reviews everywhere. Mm -hmm. Most people really liked it. It sold a bunch. Paul had retired early from the Foreign Service a year earlier, and the childs were living in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Uh, Paul had designed the kitchen with Julia's tremendous collection of cookery and equally tremendous sense of organization in mind. There were outlines on the pegboard walls for every pot and every favorite device and magnetic strips on the walls for knives and raised counters to accommodate Julia's height. That's awesome. Then, in 1962, as Julia was working on Volume 2 of Mastering the Art of French Cooking, she was invited to speak about it on local public television station WGBH on a show about books, um, a live, lit interview kind of show. She brought along a few props and showed showed viewers how to make an omelet. The station received 27 letters about it. Twenty-seven! It was unheard of at the time. It was very, it was very impressive. I see. Um, the station asked if she would consider filming a pilot for a cooking series. The pilot was such a, such a success with their, with their producers that they signed on for 26 black and white episodes of The French Chef, which went in, into production in 1963 and would continue filming on and off for nine years and over 200 episodes, eventually moving to color in 1970. And it was a little bit ramshackle starting out. Um, Paul took up various roles backstage. He, he was the sous chef. He basically created all the mise en place. He did, he did most of the washing of the dishes. They eventually had uh, volunteer crew members to help out, some half a dozen to a dozen women who Julia called her associate cooks and would introduce by saying it's so much more fun to cook with friends, don't you think?
1: Oh, I agree with that oh, so much.
0: Right. Um, To avoid the expense of editing, they filmed these half-hour episodes each in one continuous take. But because troubleshooting was always part of Julia's kind of concept as, as a cooking teacher, they only ever had to stop and reshoot maybe like half a dozen times ever. That's astounding. I know. Uh, Child would turn mistakes into into teaching moments. Um, Like when a a gelatin began losing its shape after unmolding, she said, never apologize. Nobody knows what you're aiming at, so just bring it to the table. When the butter for a recipe hadn't been taken out to soften before filming, she just explained what to do when that happens. And, of course, there is the famous potato pancake incident. Uh, During a flip, this thing just escaped her pan and wound up on the counter, and she just sort of scooped it back in. You can always pick it up, and if you're alone in the kitchen, who's going to see? She's not wrong. Right? <laughs> wise, We've all done it. Wise and beautiful words. Uh, the title, The French Chef, was chosen because it fit easily onto a single line in the TV guide.
1: Yeah, I mean, makes sense.
0: She didn't really like it. She She felt badly about positing herself as either French or a chef when really she was an American cook. Total difference. Mm-hmm. Um, at any rate, the show was hugely popular. Uh, Child was basically the first celebrity to emerge from public broadcasting, and she was the first PBS personality to win an Emmy. It was also the first show to include captions for the hearing impaired, and it's it said that the popularity of this basically made public television possible. Wow. Also, uh, people seem to have the idea that Child was often drinking during filming, um, but Paul and one of the show's producers, Ruth Lockwood, maintain that, that any antics that appear on film are really just Julia being Julia, and uh, and they arose out of spontaneity. Lockwood once said, "There's a sort of rough script, but there's just no telling what's going to happen. We always say it's the only real suspense show on television." Sure. Um, although Child often did appear with a wine glass on camera. Rumor has it that the glass contained watered-down Gravy Master, a, a dark-colored sauce seasoning. She wasn't really drinking it.
1: Okay, I was
0: about to say, is she down in gravy? <laughs> Ooh,
1: <laughs> my word. That was the
0: strong stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been suggested that, that all of this happened at just the right time. You know, the the elegant Kennedys were employing a French chef in their White House kitchen, and there's still a little bit of a post-war francophilia that was influencing American culture, and and TV broadcasting technology and home TV set technology were really coming into their own. And and the American zeitgeist was leaning towards these modern, exciting interpretations of of, of physicality and sensuality. And and here was this woman showing you that all of that was within reach, and that you didn't even have to be poised or He just had to be willing to try. Within a couple years, the French chef was syndicated to over 90 stations, and Mastering had sold hundreds of thousands of copies. It was a legit phenomenon, and it was changing the way that Americans thought about food and cooking. Speaking of technology, Julia embraced it. Uh, gadgets, electronic or analog, from nonstick pans to food processors to the microwave. Anything that could make things more simple or less laborious, she was in for. And she had always been a bit of a gadget, gadget fiend. There's stories of her just haunting shops around Paris and buying way too many things, filling up all of their kitchens.
1: Wasn't she a bit of a knife fiend as well? Oh, yeah, they had hundreds. She had, like, one she called the monster or something. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. She also had a bag that had all of her sacred.
0: Oh, the sacred bag. <laughs> the sacred bag. Yeah. She would carry it around with her on, on tour and to, and to sets, and it would have just these, like, essential items. Like, there was this one measuring cup made of bone that she just really liked. She was like, this one. This one is important.
1: You know, you you have your go-to things. <laughs> I understand.
0: But also stuff like extension cords because, you know, filmmaking. Useful. You need exactly. You need them. Meanwhile, the child had built a vacation home in Provence, which they spent as much time in was allowed. Uh, she was writing a lot, working on a book based on her TV series and on Volume 2 of Mastering. At the time, she was struggling with cancer and uh, Paul with various cardiovascular issues, but but both of them just kind of moved through it with the sort of uh, joie de vivre that both of them embodied. She would wind up moving away from her working relationship, though, with, uh, with Simca and Louisette. Both of them had different ideas about how best to work with recipes and even what French cooking really meant. Julia also implied that her sudden fame in America made her relationship with Simca tense. But she would wear a badge from their cooking school that uh, Ecole d’Etoile Toile Gourmand for the entire run of the French chef. After The French Chef ended, Child would go on to do a number of other shows for public television, preferring to, quote, stick with the educators, and she would write companion books for each of them. For a couple, she actually filmed in her own Cambridge home, necessitating a a rig to be mounted to the ceiling for lights. The two that I think are particularly of note um, are The Way to Cook, which is this extensive book from 1989 with an accompanying myriad of videotapes that have since been put on DVD. There's like hundreds of chapters. It's great. Um, also, uh, her collaborations with other celebrity chef and a personal friend, Jacques Pepin, uh, including the 1999-ish series, Julia and Jacques Cooking at Home, in which they improvised their recipes. That sounds so fun. Oh, they're, they're terrific together. Like, they had this amazing banter on screen. They would, you know, if his back was turned, she would add butter. If her back was turned, he would add garlic. It was really cute. <laughs> anyway, um a child would also do numerous cooking demonstrations at local colleges and on tour, both alone and with folks like Jacques
1: She sounds like she was a very genuine person.
0: She supposedly had her her name and phone number in the local phone book in Cambridge and answered her, her own phone. Her her publisher was stunned by this, you know. I am too. Like, like people she said that people like like locals would call in and ask her for help with a recipe and she would just give it to them.
1: She's like the first iteration of the Butterball hot, <laughs> hotline. Oh. <laughs> Much I'm sure far superior. Well, I don't know. I don't I'm know. sorry, Butterball. I don't know anything about it. But but perhaps, perhaps less de- – I think it's okay if you're less delightful than Julia Child. I, I agree. She sounds very delightful.
0: Uh, we have a few more delightful tidbits about her. But first, we've got another quick break for a word from our sponsor.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies.
4: Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value.
1: And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. In 1993, Julia Child joined the CIA. No, not that one. The Culinary (laughs) Institute of America. She later became the first woman inducted into their Hall of Fame. And this wasn't the only award child would receive. Oh, no, she was awarded the Légion d'honneur from Jacques Pépin in 2000. And in 2003, George W. Bush awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom.
0: I'm not sure if it counts as an award, but SNL did a sketch of the French chef with Child portrayed by Dan Aykroyd in 1978. Uh, in, in the in the sketch, she turns a slip of the knife into one of those teaching moments, spraying the set with blood and walking the audience through making a tourniquet out of, like, available chicken scraps. It's it's real grisly and real gross and, and hilarious. Uh, Julia said that she loved it and kept a taped copy of the sketch by her television at all times. Um, She also received an honorary doctorate from Harvard in 1993 after her 80th birthday. Um, The inscription was, A Harvard friend and neighbor who has filled the air with common sense and uncommon sense. Long may her souffles rise. That's pretty excellent. Good words. Uh, She donated 2,500 books and other papers to the Library of Gastronomic Literature there, which is the uh, largest cookbook collection in the country, or at least it
1: was at the time. And thanks to a 2001 donation from Julia, you can see the kitchen Paul designed at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. It's got three viewpoints and loads of memos, framed recipes, various articles, and a television, of course, playing her show on a loop. Uh, In
0: 2002, a blogger began working her way through the entirety of mastering the art of French cooking, which became the inspiration for a novel and then the film Julie and Julia in 2009, starring Meryl Streep. Mm -hmm. Um, Her biographer says it's Streep reincarnated child. Hmm.
1: The relationship and marriage between Julia and Paul is often pointed to as being ahead of its time. Once Julia's show became successful, Paul supported her in her career, testing all the recipes, acting as her agent, washing the dishes, all those things we said. This was unusual for the time. In Julia Child's own words, middle-class women did not have careers. You were to marry and have children and be a nice mother. You didn't go out and do anything. (laughs) Paul's attitude toward the whole thing could be summed up with this quote. How fortunate we are at this moment in our lives, each doing what he most wants in a marvelously adapted place close to each other, superbly fed and housed with excellent health. He devoted most of his time to helping Julia succeed in the later part of their lives in her endeavors. And um, the New York Times wrote in a 1974 profile of Julia Child that Paul suffered from no apparent insecurities of male ego. He would uh, tour with her. And uh, at one press conference that that New York Times article uh, references,
0: they they were both encouraging newcomers to cooking to be daring Paul said they should not be afraid of hard work. Julia said cooking wasn't really hard once he mastered the essential techniques. Paul said that mastering the techniques required much hard work. (laughs) It just sounds so cute. Um, he uh, He would pass away in 1994 at the age of 92, and she would follow 10 years later in 2004, two days before her 92nd birthday. What was meant to be a birthday party turned into a wake and a celebration of her life. Mm -hmm. Before she died, though, uh, Julia set the stage for one last public series of sorts, the Julia Child Foundation for Gastronomy and the Culinary Arts. Uh, It's a nonprofit based in Santa Barbara where Julia moved just a few years before her death, and it makes uh, grants and awards to other nonprofits and schools and individuals to support historical research and culinary training and food writing and food literacy. And uh, we're, we're kind of getting to the to the wrap-up point of the episode, if you couldn't tell. So I wanted to do a quick shout-out to two of the sources that I drew on extensively for some of this history. Um, one is a memoir that Julia Child wrote with her nephew Alex Prudhomme, um, called My Life in France. And the other is a biography that Child came to like well enough that she would actually sign copies of, um, frequently alongside the author. It's called Appetite for Life, and that's by Noelle Riley Fitch. Uh, there are really numerous biographies of her, including her relationship with cats, but but those are the two that I glommed onto. Um, and let's let's end with a quote, maybe. Uh, I find Julia Child just endlessly quotable. Um, I found one from just before her death in 2004 from Time Magazine that I think kind of sums everything up. Food is very friendly. Just looking at a potato, I like to pat it. There's something so pleasant about a big baking potato or a whole bunch of peas in their shells. To me, the kitchen has never stopped being a place just full
1: of possibilities and pleasures. That's lovely. Oh, yeah. Gee, I mean, there's so much about her. Um, if you don't, if you're like me and you don't know too much about her, there's so much out there.
0: Yeah. Um. You can, you can also... Uh, you can watch a number of her things on either PBS or YouTube if you if you're so inclined. Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I I'm a, I'm a little bit verklempt. Like I like I don't usually get nervous before I come into the studio, but I I got genuinely nervous coming in. I was like, Julia's going to be listening. <laughs> she can hear me. Don't want to let her down. Um, yeah, it, it's it's it's. I find her very inspiring to watch because she's so. So just in control of everything in a very uh, wild and entertaining way. So if you haven't if you haven't seen too much video of her, check her out. Once you've seen a few episodes, maybe check out that Dan Aykroyd skit. It's really great. Yeah.
1: And that brings us to the end of this, our classic episode. We hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did. Mm-hmm. And... We were working. We got a lot of things in the works, including hopefully soon, fairy tale foods. A lot of you have written in and said that <laughs> you're looking for that. You want more episodes like that, and we heard you. And we're working towards it. Yes, it is. It it is happening. It is, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily in a creepy way. But maybe I don't know. <laughs> but maybe I, I guess it, it depends on your point of view, really. From a certain point of view. Again, we just give you the information. We can't we can't tell you what to do with the information once you have it. Definitely true. Definitely true. Um, and thanks to all the listeners who have been writing in and sharing what projects you're working on. We love it. And we would love for you to keep that up. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. Or you can get in touch with us on social media. We are on Facebook,
0: Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way.
1: This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Com.
2: Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> <laughs> Give me museums! South South Polo Polo Park. Park. Give me a woo! Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.